Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went home justified before God rather than the other. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you remember your glory days? Back in your 20s, it seemed like everything you did went right. You spent your days and your evenings encountering new challenges and winning. You met interesting men and women. You learned new skills. You may have met your spouse. Your income kept going up. You found new and interesting jobs. Bought your first vehicles. May have bought your first home or at least lived in better and better places. You may have had your first child. Life was good. And you probably remember those days with fondness. And for some of us, it's a lot farther back than for others. In fact, there's a few here who aren't into the glory days yet. But since that time, for most of us, responsibilities have grown. We went through rough and difficult times. We worked hard and dealt with many difficult problems. We raised children. We had hard times paying bills. Some months the money ran out before the month did, but with grit and determination, we made it through. And today we can look back and see past the difficult days to our glory days when things were great. You know, many churches look back to the glory days of the 1960s and 70s when families each brought many children to the church. Our churches were full. We were young. It seemed like the music was wonderful. The fellowship was grand. The sermons taught us so much, and we had many friends in our churches. All the leaders were righteous. Good men and women ran the churches. Teens piled into our youth groups because our churches were the best places in town to meet good people and have a great time. Those were the glory days of the church. In ancient Israel, the people looked back to the glory days of Israel. King David's kingdom 
and then his son, King Solomon. They were on the throne. The border of Israel ran from the Euphrates River, clear up in the north, down through modern Israel and Lebanon and Jordan, and down to include half of the Sinai Peninsula. It was a land area that was, well, it was about a bit over half the land area of West Virginia, but yet it's twice that of modern Israel. Yet at that time, Israel controlled the trade routes between Babylon and Egypt. And that meant that the tax revenue was extremely profitable for the country. The country was powerful and it was prosperous. And ever afterwards, the people of Israel looked back to the time of King David and King Solomon as the glory days. And those days are described in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. But then... Then the kingdom was divided by civil war. And after a few hundred years, Jerusalem was conquered with the people sent into exile. The country completely disappeared for almost a century. And even when the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt, as described in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the country was weak and it was depressed and easily conquered again when Alexander the Great brought his army through a couple hundred years later. But God does not like his people to live in the past. God does not want us to look backwards in time and pine away moping for our glory days. The past is past, and today is today. Men like David and Solomon built a great kingdom, and eventually that kingdom fell, but God was not through with Israel for one day, a man named Judah Maccabee and his family led a revolt against the rulers who had followed Alexander. And Judah and Jerusalem rose once again out of the ashes to be an independent nation. A new time of glory days came to Israel, which lasted over a hundred years until overwhelming Roman armies arrived and conquered the country once more. In our lives, we raised our children. They move out. Many even move to other states and we have empty nests. Our jobs end and we retire and our income drops. And at that point, we have the option of doing one of two things. We can look forward to hear the cold wind of winter whistle through our lives as we wait in front of the television for death to arrive in the darkness of night while we think of our glory days. And I've known men and women, even perfect health, who decided a few days after retirement that they were already dead, who sat down to die, who spent the rest of their days, even decades, remembering the old days when they did great things, things that they could no longer do or no longer wanted to do. They focused upon the past, became tired of life, and so they gave up waiting for death to arrive like the trees outside wait for the snow of winter to fall. But I've also known men and women who looked at their retirement as a time of Indian summer, a time of freedom, a time when they could no longer serve an employer, but now were free to serve God, a time when they could accomplish the great things for others that they had been dreaming to do all their lives. Once again, we can look for ancient Israel for inspiration. The word of God came to a man we know as Joel, 
a man whose name means Yahweh is God. Although no one knows for sure, many biblical scholars believe that Joel lived soon after the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And God told Joel to tell Israel, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given you the autumn rains, because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You will have plenty to eat until you're full, and you'll praise the name of the Lord your God who's worked wonders for you. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. There was this prophecy of a new and wonderful future for Israel. It was a promise from God that new glory days were to come, and this is part of what inspired the Maccabees in their revolt. But the prophecy was intended for a time of even more glory. It was intended for people who lived during the Roman occupation. It was intended for those people who would see Jesus the Christ walking and teaching in Jerusalem, God himself walking on the earth. It was intended as a message of hope for these men and women who had seen Jesus killed on the cross. And it was a message that they remembered after he rose from the dead and taught them for over a month and returned to heaven. It was a message that was remembered by the Apostle Peter on that wonderful morning of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on all of the assembled disciples, not just the twelve apostles, but upon the 120 followers of Jesus who had remained together, praying together, waiting and waiting and waiting for the promised arrival of power from Jesus. It was remembered by Peter when he spoke to the thousands of people who came running to the sound of the rushing wind and the flames of the Holy Spirit and the praising of God in many, many languages, which so confused the people around them that they thought the disciples were all drunk. That morning, Peter proclaimed that this event was what Joel had prophesied, that God had promised to pour out his spirit on all people, and the sons and daughters would prophesy, and the old men would dream dreams, and the young men would see visions. And he said, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You know, it would have been so easy for the disciples to have given up. It would have been so easy for them to say, we've seen God walking on the earth and now he's gone back to heaven. So now we'll just wait to die. But God left them with that promise and a mission. And that promise was that sons and daughters would prophesy, would speak on behalf of God like prophets of old. That promise was that old men would dream dreams, dreams of a changed world, a world where evil died and goodness flourished. The promise was that young men would see visions of a wonderful future, a future where enemies became friends, where men and women without hope would create a new world together, where the world would be better for children and grandchildren, 
than what the parents had experienced. It was a promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people who would listen and do powerful deeds because they could hear and listen to the Spirit of God, that God would guide them and that signs and wonders would come. A great movement of the Spirit would change the world. And so the people who became Christians listened to that Spirit and went out into the world. And Christianity took over the Roman Empire and then Europe and then America and now it's taking over Africa and moving into Asia. But there was a change in people's thinking which was needed for this great success. A key change in attitude between the Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus and the Christian leaders who came out of Pentecost. Jesus had pointed out in our reading from Luke this very important lesson. A lesson which many people have missed over the years. A lesson which is necessary necessary for these promises of the Spirit to come true, for this attitude change is needed to bring people back to God. One day, Jesus was speaking in front of a mixed crowd. There were Pharisees, men who were confident that they were right before God. They were men who knew they'd followed the laws given, by Moses, given to Moses by God, and they knew that they'd followed them much better than other men. And they were largely right. To put it in modern terms, the Pharisees didn't smoke, drink, or cuss. They didn't use drugs. They dressed properly. They were faithful to their wives. They didn't steal. They faithfully attended services at the temple. By every common measure, the Pharisees followed the moral laws. And because of this, they were confident in their own righteousness. And they pridefully looked down on everyone else. Jesus, the Son of God, the representative of God upon the earth, told this parable, making sure the Pharisees heard it. Two men went up to the, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evil, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. This Pharisee was a good man by all the measures of the time and measures today. He did not rob or steal. He was faithful to his wife. He didn't commit evil. He even fasted twice a week and he faithfully tithed. He was morally and ethically strong. Most churches today would be proud to have him in their congregation. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In ancient Israel, you have to understand that the tax collectors operated on a commission basis. They earned money by collecting money from people. They passed on a portion to the king, but they were able to keep a portion for themselves, and so they grew rich at the expense of the average man. And many collected far more than they were asked to collect. And so most people looked upon them as we might look upon a group of men who worked for mob bosses, corrupt, collecting insurance money from people in exchange for not burning down their homes. They were seen by the average man as criminals, thugs, and corrupt. In Jesus' story, the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't look to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
What was the difference between the two men? The Pharisee thought he was perfect, doing everything right, and so God would love him. And the Pharisee noticed he especially compared himself favorably to other people. But the tax collector knew that he, the tax collector, was doing wrong, especially in God's eyes. And so he asked for mercy. You see, the Pharisee was constantly comparing himself to the man next door, even to the tax collector. He was constantly looking at other people and using them as his measuring stick of what was right and good. And at least in his own mind, he was better than the man next door. He was effectively bragging about how good he was to God. He was almost demanding that God reward him for his actions. His focus was on his own goodness and he compared it to the failures of other people. He was so good in his own mind that he was almost, almost approaching God as an equal. But the tax collector was comparing himself not to other people, but to the perfection that God demands of behavior. And he knew that he'd messed up he was honest to God, and most importantly, he was humble, not demanding anything of God, but instead begging God for mercy, recognizing that God had the power to punish him or reward him, but did not have the duty to do either one. The tax collector understood that he was lacking, and he needed God's mercy. You know, we've seen men like the Pharisee in our stories so often that we know what has to happen. We know that somewhere inside his righteous appearance must be a secret sin. He must be a hypocrite. We may not be able to see it, but this was a good man. But he did have a sin. It was his tremendous pride. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, the apostle says... If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And there lies the problem with the man or woman who compares himself or herself to other people in town. Maybe people who don't attend church, or the people who don't dress well, or the people who drive, up, drive beaten up cars if they do have a car. The person who compares themselves to people who are slaves to a chemical. The people who smoke, who smoke and drink and cuss. The person who is so proud because they don't do this have sins that they cannot see perhaps most tellingly, the sin of being filled with pride instead of compassion. And we've all seen these prideful people fall, haven't we? And it's these prideful people that have done more harm to the cause of Christianity over the centuries, especially in the last 50 years, than all the humble sinners who have stood before God in tears and asked for God's mercy. It is the humble sinners who have wept and begged before God, who have grown the kingdom of God. Even today, growing churches tend to be those churches who have welcomed the sinners with open arms, while stagnant churches are those who keep sinners at a distance, maybe locking them out. 
Jesus was clear about which of the two men he preferred and loved the most. Speaking of the humble, tearful tax collector, Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And then he said, for all those who exalt themselves, all those who lift themselves up will be humbled. They'll be brought down. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. We should not focus upon bringing glory to ourselves, but upon bringing glory to God and Christ, giving them the opening to work in our lives. You know, we've talked about how when we choose to follow Jesus and then get baptized, we can step on the path to holiness, a path that goes through the woods, a path that's sometimes easy to follow and sometimes very difficult to follow. We've talked about how following the path we should become more and more like Jesus as we study the scripture and listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance. And we should see the development of the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we should see develop in our life if we're following that path of holiness. But there's a real danger that as we grow more like Jesus, we'll develop the pride of the Pharisee and lose our humbleness and humility. This is the attack of Satan upon those who become holy. Pride grows and compassion shrinks within us. So how do we make sure that we remain humble people of God and don't grow prideful? Well, there's a story about a man who lives with two great cats. He has a cub lion who loves him and a cub tiger who wants to eat him. Every day, he takes some meat out. He can feed the lion who loves him or he can feed the tiger who wants to eat him. The one he feeds the most is what will grow. The other will shrivel and die. So which should he feed? Obviously, he should feed the lion who loves him. But he fears the tiger. And so he often feeds the tiger. And many people feed their tiger out of fear when we should be feeding the lion. Every one of us has a bit of the pride of the Pharisee in us. And that's our tiger and a bit of the humbleness of the tax collector in us, and that's our lion. The problem with thinking that all we need to do is declare that we believe in Jesus is we stop walking down the path of holiness toward Jesus and instead turn toward comparing ourselves to other people, like the Pharisee did. And so in, in many people, in many churches, the people feed their internal Pharisee out of pride and starve the tax collector out of shame. People focus upon being better than other people instead of focusing upon God and Christ. People do this because the world tells us to work hard, to be perfect and strong and proud, and to be ashamed of our sins and wrongdoings. And so our fear of shame feeds the tiger within us. But this is not what Jesus asks of us. He asks us to admit to God our sins and then work on them. But not to ever forget that God has forgiven us only because God chose to. Not because we've suddenly become so good we can be fulfilled, we can be filled with pride. If we continue to focus upon Jesus and God, then we will become more humble the closer we grow to Jesus for we'll see our perfections 
mirrored in his perfection. And so our imperfections will grow clearly, even more clearly in our minds as people watching us from a distance see our imperfections growing smaller. Our souls will have the best of both worlds. We'll become more holy and yet more humble at the same time. Every one of us has a bit of the Pharisee within us, our tiger, and a bit of the tax collector, our lion. The great thing about this church, what makes this church great, is that here we're trying to feed our inner tax collector lion and starve our inner Pharisee tiger as we walk down the path of holiness. We're working on being humble and not being filled with the pride of the Pharisee. We're each focusing more on God than on being better than other people. And I think God has noticed I told you that churches often look back on their glory days just as people look back at their personal glory days and Israel looked back at the glory days of King David. But past glories are poor feeding. God does not want us to look back on our glory days even in pride at how great we are or in despair looking at how far we've fallen since those glory days. Both of those will destroy us as people and as a church. What we have to recognize is that the new glory days of Christianity in this community and in each one of us are beginning now and are in the future. There are things we can do that will bring far more glory than the things we did in the glory days. Recently, there's been a great movement of the Holy Spirit right here. People have noticed that we're feeding the lion of humility and starving the tiger of pride. This is changing us into humble servants of God, welcoming people and making us kind to those who visit us. And God is pointing them at us. We are growing. People are joining us again. They're coming back from their homes where they had hid during COVID, and they're turning once again toward God. New people are showing up. Children are coming back to our church. People are getting involved in doing things in the church, not for the church, but for the people who are not in the church. Yesterday was a great example of that. Our focus has turned outward to find people and show them the love of God. This morning, I believe the revival has begun in earnest. I heard comments earlier. Our church does not have hundreds of people, but many are following us online looking to see what we will do. And I must admit a sin, I'm proud of this church and the way our members behave. For we are stepping up to do battle with the spiritual forces of evil in this world, with the apathy that keeps people from God. We're going out into the world. Men and women who, choose, who chose to sleep in their beds this morning will complain that they missed the day when the Holy Spirit came to this church in power. For Holy Spirit... We are ready to listen to your gentle voice. We're ready to follow your guidance. We're ready to admit our weakness and rely upon the strength of God the Father and the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to do the great things that you need done. We've had months of preparation. Today we each commit ourselves to choosing to reach out to all types of people, to praise God and teach people the love of Jesus Christ, to speak of his great and mighty deeds, which we know to lead people to baptism 
to teach people all that Jesus has commanded and to welcome them into our fellowship. And if you're listening and watching us, join us quickly if you want to be blessed beyond all measure. For God loves people who try their best to follow his will, and that is what we are going to do. So now to everyone here in person, take this time to step to the altar, and if you're at home, take this time to pray. Every person here, come forward and ask God to forgive your sins, even those whom most people might not think are sins, the sins of pride or focusing upon ourselves, I know that if we think we're without sin, then we're trying to make God out to be a liar. Take time to stand alone before God as the tax collector did. The, the man who walked away justified because he was humble enough to admit his sins to God and not so prideful to boast in front of God. Take time during this prayer to pray for the growth of the other people who are here today for their health and their peace, and for people who are listening to come to know Jesus and join us in this fellowship. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77 just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.